know uh, there's no way I could be up here um, because of your love and your care and uh, the kindness and grace of God and our family. Uh, I am God is good all the time. And so it's great to be a part of your family, uh, our family, and to worship and to bring the word. So I'm excited because we're starting a new sermon series called The Joyful Christian. Uh, it's very interesting. This was the series I was planning to preach before Mark passed away. And so, uh, and so the question is, uh, can one be joyful in the midst of suffering and sorrow? Is a joyful Christian only for a certain type of person in a certain type of circumstances? Or is there more to it than that? So we're going to look at that. Uh, we're going to look at what it means to be a joyful Christian. We're looking at Philippians 1, Paul's letter to the Philippians, 1, 1 through 12. This is Paul writing a letter from prison to the church at Philippi. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The word of the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm excited. It's not only I'm excited because we're starting the book of Philippians, but I have something else to reveal that I've been working on for some time. It's a manuscript. I don't know if you guys knew that I'm somewhat of an amateur writer, but it has been completed, and so I'm going to reveal it to you. It's <laughs> in just a little bit. It's a powerful, it's a nonfiction. It's actually called A Brief History of Me. And this is ages one through five. It's going to be a voluminous tome at the end. What? You know, I have some time to talk, so a brief history of me. And we're starting all the way back in the beginning. Uh, so chapter one right here will be about my conception. Might as well start. Not immaculate, but nonetheless, it has to start somewhere. In fact, this uh, history book, it's also filled with poetry and songs. I've written a lauding of this particular subject, who happens to be myself. Here's a poem, My Love. Oh, I love me, I love me. I'm wild about myself. I love me, I love me, my picture's on my shelf. You may not think me looks so good, but me thinks I look fine. It's grand when I look in the glass and know that I'm all mine. I love me, I love me, and my love doesn't bore. Day by day and every way, I love me more and more. I take me to a quiet place. I put me arms around me waist. If me gets fresh, me slaps me face. I'm wild about myself. 
powerful and moody than I am. <laughs> you know, as, as much as we giggle, it is the nature of the world that everybody looks to themselves. We live in a self-focused world, and I'm as guilty as it is everyone else. You know, when you get a sheaf of pictures and you're thumbing through them, who's the first person you're looking for? It's me. It's me. We live in a world where benefiting yourself, if there are opportunities to move up the rung, that's the way things are. And so self-interest rules the day. Part of it's just our fallen nature. Our goal is to better our circumstances. And I think that's why Paul's letter to this church in Philippi is so strange. Paul is writing from a Roman prison in Rome. He's writing to the Philippians. This is a church he started. Uh, it actually started through a very interesting way. He was there in Philippi preaching. He got arrested, flogged, thrown into prison, and is there when God opens the gates. The jailer rushes in thinking their God is going to kill himself. Paul preaches the gospel to him. He comes to faith. And it goes on and on. So these are the descendants here in Philippi. Really Paul's children in the gospel. So Paul is writing to these Philippians who are also experiencing persecution, chained to a Roman guard. He had wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but now he's a prisoner. And so he writes this letter. But we don't see a letter of suffering and despondence and grief and futility. Rather, we see one a letter of rejoicing. Listen, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, I always pray with joy. 118, I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. 218, be glad and rejoice with me. 31, rejoice in the Lord. 44, rejoice in the Lord always. Indeed, 16 times in these four chapters, Paul is speaking about joy and encouraging the Philippians to rejoice as well. But you scratch your head and you ask the question, nobody rejoices in the face of sufferings. You want to get out of those sufferings and circumstances so you can rejoice. And yet Paul is unabashedly others-focused, unabashedly joyful. You know, joy is one of the hallmarks of Christianity. <clears throat> Read through the Bible, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. One of the marks of a Christian is joy. It was C.S. Lewis who said, we all know the proof of joy. It shows that what we have satisfies the heart. I don't know if you've ever run into someone who's joyful, a joyful Christian. I have. His name was Mark Rodriguez. There was something in him. There was a joy of the Lord that seemed to permeate. How about you? Is there joy in your heart, in your life? Often Christians are not living with joy. Often there's sadness and despair. I'm not talking about happiness and everything's great. I assure you not everything's great in our lives. But a joy that surpasses, that goes past our circumstances. For Paul, we see in this letter that his life and his joy was greater than his circumstances. It came from within, not from without. And so this book of Philippians is written for struggling people like you and me. It's written for people who are in the middle of difficulties. People who are either being oppressed inside or from without. People that are feeling despair. People that don't know where to go. 
People that may be saying, I've tried this Christianity thing, I just don't know if it's for me. And so Paul wants to explain to them how to live as a joyful Christian. In this book, he reveals four spiritual secrets, four spiritual truths, one for each chapter, that will reveal to us how to live as joyful Christians. And so each week, actually each three weeks, we will unveil one of these spiritual truths. It's not magic. It's simply Paul the Apostle showing us what this means. So we're going to go ahead and unveil this, unveil this first spiritual truth. Be ready. You read on the drum uh, roll. Actually, I'm not going to give it to you right away, but I'm going to give you some clues. In the book of Philippians, joy is mentioned 16 times, but there is another word that is mentioned 16 times. The word mind is mentioned 10. The word think is mentioned 5. The word remember is mentioned 1. 16 times, Paul talking about mind, what you think, what your attitude is. In other words, the secret of Christian joy is found in the way the believer thinks, his attitudes. As Proverbs 23 uh, says, as a person thinks, so he is. And so the book of Philippians is a Christian psychology book founded on Bible doctrine. It's not a shallow self-help book, how to get ahead, how to feel better. No, rather it explains the mind that a believer must have if they are to experience joy in the world filled with trouble. So what is this first truth? Listen to how Paul speaks. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4.10 I rejoice in the Lord greatly. You see this concept of where Paul's joy is. It's in this person. It's in the Lord. Not in circumstances. There's a focusness to it. Paul is seeking to find his joy in Jesus Christ. It's focused, but it's also exclusive. Philippians 1.20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, Paul has shifted the purpose of his life to live for another, to find life in this one called Jesus Christ, to honor and lift him up. Paul has discovered that to find life, I need to stop searching in other places. I need to be focused. I need to be exclusive with him. And so the greeting in Philippians 1.1 1, 1 makes perfect sense. Paul and Timothy's servants, slaves or bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who I am. I'm a bond servant of Christ. And what I bring to you is grace and peace. What Paul is talking about, is not just Jesus Christ, but what he brings, the good news, we call it the gospel. That in Christ, God is reconciling himself to Paul, to people, not counting our sins against us. That for some crazy, unfathomable reason, he wants us and he loves us. 
And he's willing to bring us to himself even at the point of death. To call us sons and daughters. To give us a new reality. A new life. The life we were always looking for. A life of love and purpose and meaning. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's struck Paul's heart. And he can't seem to think about anything else. The spiritual truth. The first one is simply this. That Paul is single-minded. Single-minded. You've heard that word. You've also heard the other word, right? Double-minded. Double-minded means I'm thinking about this, but I'm also thinking about this. And I'm not exactly sure which way to go. I want to go this way, but then again, there's this way. Maybe it's triple-minded. Quadruple-minded. And if I knew any of the other words, I'd keep going. But it's not single-minded. This letter by Paul is written by a single-minded person who's in very hard circumstances. But he does not see Christ in the light of his circumstances. He sees his circumstances in the light of Christ. He's not there living to enjoy the circumstances. He's living to serve Jesus Christ. You know, it's been very interesting through this funeral time and with our son passing. And, uh, and people, us having opportunities to speak in a variety of different ways. And people have come up to Leon and I and said, we're so inspired by you. And we look at each other because we know the truth. But it's by God's grace. It's because of the gospel that we can look at our circumstances through Christ. And by God's grace in your prayers, because otherwise we'd be lost. If we took our circumstances to interpret who this God is, we would say we don't want anything to do with Him. But rather... Gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ sets our path. What if you lived single-mindedly? What if you took your focus from all of the chatter and the static and took a leap of faith and put all your chips on that particular place? What if it was exclusive? I'm not saying you don't love other things. I'm not saying you don't hold them as important. But what if you took one thing that was above all other things. This thing was not a thing, it was a purpose. See, our temptations for you and me is not to be single-minded. We want to hedge our bets. Put some on black five, put some on red three, just in case that little spinner the ball lands there. See, it's good to hedge your bets, right? That's what you are, you want to diversify your portfolio. But Jesus says, put everything on me. Is this risky? Heck yeah, it is. Christianity is the most risky thing you've ever done and will do. Because he's the God who gives everything. He expects everything. The world says, if you don't want to hedge your bets, as long as you're focusing on something, anything, as long as you find that something and focus on them, you will find peace and joy. That is a lie too. A person cannot bear the weight of God. And if you put all of your eggs in that basket, you will inevitably disappoint it. That's why three-quarters of the television programs and three-quarters of the songs out there you might as well get rid of. Because they're sending the wrong message. I remember I was a kid, probably about second grade, and I went to this all-boys school. They wanted to keep me from those other people. Uh, and so there was a fifth grader there, okay? 
and he brought one of these out. Now this thing was the, about the size of a dinner plate. Okay, I, I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know it was a magnifying glass. I didn't understand his power. So he said, hey, come on over here. I want to show you something. Sun's out, we're outdoors. Okay. Put your shoe right here. Oh. Your nice penny loaf for a shoe. Now watch this. And he starts doing this. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. What's neat? And then all of a sudden, this smoking begins. Just like that. And my shoe begins to burn a hole right in my, right there. I start to feel the heat almost instantly. Huge magnifying gas. I didn't understand the power of focus. See, that's how a magnifying glass works, doesn't it? It takes everything and it focuses it on one point. You take that magnifying glass and you're just off by a couple of inches, it does nothing. But when you bring it into the focal point, it has tremendous power. See, that's what it was for Paul. Jesus was his one true magnificent obsession. So look at your life. What am I magnifying? What's the focus? What is in your poem? I love blank. I love blank. I'm wild about blank. I love blank. I love blank. There are pictures on my shelf. Paul could sing that song very easily. I love Christ. I love Christ. I'm wild about him. I love Christ. I love Christ. His picture's on my shelf. You may not think he looks so good, but I think he looks great. It's grand when I look at the glass and I know that he's all mine. If you want to have peace and joy as a Christian, you must become single-minded. You must recalibrate what you focus on. Because the one thing in life you do get to choose is who you will give your heart and your hope to. Paul gave his heart to the gospel, and it changed everything. The call of the gospel is the same for us. Now, in this section, we're actually going to talk in the next three weeks of how single-mindedness affects the way we live. And from reading this passage, it's clear that one of the ways that how Paul lives transforms his relationships. That there's this fellowship of the gospel that occurs. Listen to verses 3 and 4 as Paul is writing to this church, the overseers and the deacons. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, I'll make you my prayer with joy. Paul is praying and he's thinking of these people with thanks and remembrance and every prayer and joy. If I was writing a letter, I'd say, guys, it's really hard out here. Okay? I need you to come. Look, here's what I mean. No, Paul is sharing about how he's focused on these people. And why is he focused? Why is he thinking? Why is he remembering? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This word partnership could also be translated fellowship. It's a fellowship of the gospel. This fellowship, this word, what he's saying is that this thing, Christianity, this thing, the gospel, is bigger than just one person. Because this word fellowship, translated in the Greek, koinonia, means communion, means intimacy. Very soon we'll have Holy Communion, Hagias Koinonia, a communion with God. He's saying that there is a partnership, a fellowship, a communion between you and me, even though you're there in that town 
and I'm here in this prison, there is a bond between us. It's spiritual. Jesus' goal from the beginning, after man sinned and broke apart. You want to know why people don't understand one another, why people put up walls? It's because of sin. Christ in the gospel is creating a unity where people can be brought together as one. This is a spiritual bond. It's an affectionate bond. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is being sustained by these people and their prayers and their thoughts. And Paul is doing the same for them. It's particular. What Paul is saying is this supernatural bond is between me and it's between you. Why? Because you are in Christ and I am in Christ. So much more than friendship. So much more than acquaintance. It's supernatural. It creates love. It's eternal. It's forever. It's transcendent. Paul says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. See, you have this grace in your heart, and I have it. And for some way that we don't fully understand, it can be brought together. You know, there still is a koinonia of some sort with my son. How can that be? Because I'm in Christ, and he is in Christ. And I'm alive and he's alive. And even though I can't see him, there is a bond there that is transcendent. I don't want Mark to live on in my memories. That's great. I want Mark to live on. And I want to live with Mark. The koinonia, the prayers and fellowship of you all through this time has been the thing that has sustained us and given us strength as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Paul says, I hold this, I feel this way for you, for you all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What do you mean by grace and imprisonment? No grace and imprisonment. But to Paul there is. Because Paul is experiencing God's grace in the darkest times. You know, wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, it is in the dark times that God is there. He's in prison. And the Philippians, some of them are in prison for their faith. And together we are partaking of God's grace. Paul's in prison and he's singing. You're kidding me. He's preaching the gospel to the guy who's chained to him. Why? Because God is filling his heart with grace. You are partakers with me in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. That is, because I'm here in Rome and I'm imprisoned, I know that you, in Philippi, are doing the same thing. Taking a step of faith. Going out and sharing Christ. Because you, like me, believe that the gospel is the answer to all the problems of the world. And so we're standing together in this grace. We're alongside one another, even if we're miles apart. There is a bond, my friends, in the church that is meant to be different than the bond of the world. Some people think church is sort of like the Kiwanis Club, or the Lions Club, or the Buffalo Club. Whenever the Flintstones, the Buffalo Club, anybody <laughs> with me? Okay, the Water Buffalo Club. Okay, it's, it's like a social thing, it's like a gathering. 
You come, you don't come, it's great, but you, you've totally missed it. The church is supernatural. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, there are bonds that you don't even understand between us. Maybe you've experienced them as you've come alongside people. Now some people don't recognize it. Some people are scared of it. Paul was not. It was a source of strength and a source of joy. And the question is for you, if you come to this church, if you love Christ, are you willing to step out? Are you willing to open your heart, as Paul did, to give away of yourself and to take as well? In 1842, I'm sure you all know this, but I'm just going to go over that. Imperial Russia chose a railroad gauge broader than the standard gauge. I know not worrying you, but I'll keep going. Okay, the standard gauge in Europe was 4 feet 11 and 116 inches. Everyone said, hey, Russia, you guys do it too. Russia said, no, no. We're going to do it at 5 feet. A difference of 15, 16, of 15 sixteenths of an inch, which you may think is not a lot, but in the world of railroad is a heck of a lot. See, what Russia said was, just in case anybody tries to invade us, our railway system is different, so you can't take your armaments and bring them in. Sure enough, 1941, when Nazi Germany invades Russia, with an overwhelming force, the first thing Russia does is they burn all their rail cars. Because the Nazis' rail cars don't fit. And as a result, they had to haul in their stuff manually. You may know the story. They never quite made it to Moscow. They had to turn back. What was the difference? Could have been just 15 sixteenths of an inch. See, all of us have different gauges. Maybe we set them that way, you know? Something hard happened in your life and you recalibrated. I'm going to put up a wall right here. So you can't get to me and I can't get to you. And maybe you're safe. Maybe you're isolated. But you can only go so deep. In Christian fellowship, if Christ is in your heart, if you have become a believer, He standardizes the gauge. So that we can go and get close to someone, and they can come and get close to us. If you are a non-Christian, if you have not given your heart to Christ, and you really want to know what it means to be close to people, the only way you can do so is when you first give your life to Christ. Because He standardizes the gauges. If you are a Christian... If the gauge is the same between you and other people, it makes no difference if you don't use it. So Paul gives us the example. Open your heart. Be honest. I'm having a bad day. I need help. How are you doing? Can I come into your life and walk alongside you? Reach out. Encourage one another. Thank one another. Rejoice in one another. You can make the difference by coming into someone's life. You did for us. You may be hurting right now, and everything of the world says you've got to keep a straight face. Don't open your heart to others. God says do so. Now tread carefully, people. 
someone opens their heart to you, you don't go in at 50 miles an hour. But it's a privilege to walk alongside. This church, my friends, is one gauge. It's a supernatural thing. My hope is when people come to this church and they see the relationships we have, they say, this is supernatural. I don't get it, but I want it. We are the manifestation of the gospel. A single mind totally devoted to Christ helps us become totally devoted to others. That brings me to my last point. How do we participate in this fellowship of the gospel? Carlos, this sounds great. How do I do it? Well, Paul did it in three ways. Number one, I have you on my mind. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. See, these people are on Paul's mind. All my remembrance, always, every prayer. He's thinking about them. He's in jail, and he's thinking about them. He's thinking about their circumstances. They may be out of his sight, but they're not out of his mind. And so if you want to participate in this fellowship of the gospel, you must have other people on your mind. And Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Not only think about them, but think good of them. Call them, text them, go to lunch. Isn't it great when someone just says, I was just thinking about you. How are you doing? B, have other people in the church on your mind. Don't come Sunday and then it's the rest. I don't know. I'm just in my own little world. Paul says, you are on my mind. But Paul also says, you are in my heart. I don't only think of you, I care for you. Philippians 1.8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Guys, we need to be loved. And we need to love. Many people feel unloved. And they don't have anyone that can speak into their lives. One of the things we love about Mark, love about all my kids, but Mark would come alongside people. It's very interesting, the people that have come to us and said, my son or my daughter was new at Norfolk Christian, didn't know anyone. But Mark would always say hi to them and smile at them walking down the hallway. Have time for a couple of words, and it made all the difference for me. Wouldn't it be great to know that someone else has me not only on their mind, but they have me in their heart. There's affection between them. Since supernatural love, since this is supernatural God love, we need strength from God. This Christian love is not something we work up. It's something God does in us and through us. It was not Paul's love channeled through Christ that made him this way. It was Christ's love channeled through Paul. You're in my mind, Philippians. You're in my heart, Philippians. And also, finally, you are in my prayers. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul saw that it was a great, great responsibility and privilege to pray for someone. To come before the throne of God because they were a Christian. He granted access to pray on behalf of someone else. He prayed that their love may abound. 
He prayed that they would have discernment, that they would have knowledge and discernment about how to love, how to be loved, how to approve what's excellent. He prayed for their character, that they would be blameless. He prayed for their service, that they would be fruitful. He was specific and focused because his mind was on them, his heart was on them. He knew where they were at. You can be next to someone and have no clue what's going in their life. And you can be a thousand miles from them and know. It's a choice that we make. So in conclusion, I simply bring up this first spiritual truth. We're going to look at it for the next two weeks. Single-mindedness requires focus, exclusiveness, putting all of your chips on one place. That is how you will discover the joy of Jesus Christ. And the joy of Jesus Christ was meant to manifest itself in the fellowship of the gospel. Are you in? Are you tired of sort of being out on the fringes? Willing to take a risk either with Christ or with someone else? That's true joy. That's who and what you're looking for. That's what we're going to be about here at Redeemer. I pray for all of you every week. If you're on my list, I pray for you every week. Go ahead and write to me. I need prayer in this particular way. We pray on Friday, every week. Come out and join us. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then we'll be done. Lord, I do thank you for Paul's heart and his magnificent obsession with you and how it uh, transcended circumstances and discouragement and distance the love of the Lord was so evident in his life that it helped change the world. So I pray, Lord, that we would be struck by this magnificent obsession, that we would put down our manuscripts, whatever's written on them, that we would write your name on the top, that we would know the joy that surpasses all knowledge, Lord. And I pray that this joy would transform our relationships, that the fellowship we have in the gospel would, would transform us our hearts, our minds, our prayers, that we would be bound together, that we would feel and experience this gospel together, and it would burn ever more brighter because of our proximity. Pray all these things in Christ's name.